never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wonders... Why the wizards at Hogwarts can teleport at will, but they use the slowest bird to deliver mail. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. I'm here. I, w- I would say I don't think they can teleport at will, but they do have some very, very efficient uh, travel techniques. Like if you want to use flu powder or like different port keys and stuff. But that is actually pretty funny. So anyway <laughs> so peter um how was your week uh busy but uh can't complain um we're leading up to uh halloween so uh it's definitely just a fun time of the year you know one of my favorite times of the year trying to uh sque- sneak in as many uh horror movies and festive things as i can but like i said i've been a little bit busier lately than i would have typically liked but uh otherwise i have no complaints how about you well um this luckily for us halloween actually lands on a monday this year so happy halloween everybody so this episode will land actually when it should so oh, good call uh, i hope, <laughs> everybody, I hope cool. everybody has a good halloween <laughs> enjoy the trick-or-treating don't mm-hmm. get any fentanyl waste candy oh, um <laughs> <laughs> sorry i work in law enforcement so that's been a hot topic lately um the uh I will say um, I have my costume ready to go, and if I talk about it now, the people who I'm going to be at the party with won't hear this before the before the episode drops, so I won't be spoiling anything. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. So I'll tell you what I'm doing. So I was told that I had to do something Marvel. Okay. Okay. So the significant other, or the wife, um, has, to- has decided she's going to be Scarlet Witch. But she's going to be, like, the mom Scarlet Witch. So, like, she got all the components to be the mom version from Doctor Strange. And then just to top it off, she got the crown, like, the headpiece, right? So she's going to be Scarlet Witch. The party we're going going to includes kids. So my son is going to be Spider-Man. Fun. So I was told I had to be something Marvel. I was told I should do Vision. Now, if you know what I look like, I shaved my head. So, of course, (laughs) I'm the bald guy. I could do Vision. But I really... Honestly, don't want to do the head makeup, right? Yeah. That's honestly the only reason I don't want to do it. If I was going to Comic-Con, I'd be all about doing it because that's a different mentality. I'm going to a party. Is it, though? Well, (laughs) it is in the sense that people would be like, dude, he pulled off vision. Right, (laughs) right. Um, Where, and I'm going to a Halloween party where I kind of want to be comfortable. But the limits, but I don't have a wheelchair, like I said, I shave my head on a regular basis. I don't have a wheelchair, so I can't do Professor X. And it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I realized there's only one way to go, and you can't get any more Marvel than this. So I'm going to go as Kevin Feige. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> and I was told, no one's going to know who you are. And I go, yes, they will. When I'm standing next to you, if you look at what he wears, he's always like jeans and a blazer and then a hat of whatever premiere he's going to. <laughs> right on. That's so hilarious. I made sure I got a Marvel hat and that was the extent of it because I have all the rest of the components in the house. <laughs> I feel like he does like a, a lot of times just an all black baseball cap, too. Um, you could yeah. always do that look. But that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. For the vision stuff, I was just thinking in, um, I think it was in, I want to say Infinity War, maybe, or maybe it was one of the other movies, but I remember him hanging out at the Avengers compound a lot, just kind of wearing like sweater vests and stuff. So it was kind of like normal clothes and then just the vision face. So like, if you wanted to, you know, do some like detailed face paint and paint your face purple and add in all those vision details that could be a pretty cool and comfy costume but there's definitely some uh there's definitely some prep work that goes into that (laughs) depends on how much time you have to spend on face paint i thought the kevin feige thing would be cool because going to a party you can't get any more marvel than that and i will be comfortable all night (laughs) yeah the the next level up is you could have you could just be stan lee and i think that's like the only other way you can go (laughs) I know it's that meta, you know, I know. Anyway, uh, we have a ton to discuss. So uh, let's jump right in. Um, What is your watching and reading nonsense for this week? Yeah, so um, I didn't watch and read a ton. Um, I did watch the Game of Thrones House of the Dragon uh, season finale, um, which was I thought was awesome. And we'll get into that later. Uh, The only other thing I watched where I should have actually been catching up on um, things like Andor and Lord of the Rings, but I actually totally got sidetracked and uh, ended up watching the series The Watcher on Netflix. Um, Drew, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this one at all. I know I haven't watched it. Yeah, so this one's like a true crime drama based on a true story. I'm, I, I know I'm being a little redundant there, but this is a true story about a family who moves into this very historic, very large, like really beautiful home. Uh, they move from the city to the suburbs, basically find this amazing house. They move in and almost immediately they start getting letters from someone saying they're watching them and uh It's one of those things where the letters start where it starts out like just really creepy and it starts getting it starts creepy, but then it gets starting to get really weird and like demonic and cultish and stuff. And the letters are starting to say, you know, at first it's kind of like, I'll be watching you sort of thing. And then they delve into like, you need to give the house blood to give the house the blood that it wants and you know it gets really really creepy and uh it's one of these things where there's a slew of really it's a really interesting group of neighbors that surround this house and uh it's one of those cool things to watch because you don't know who is behind it you don't know who is writing the letters and it gets super super engrossing like it's just a really good mystery that you can get involved in um it also has a lot of uh i get really into like conspiracy theory stuff like i don't i don't always believe conspiracy theories but i think they're really fun to uh kind of capture your imagination and get your imagination going and this show brings in a lot of just like crazy conspiracy theory aspects to this whole stalker situation that this family's in um the only honestly like this was a this is a series that's seven episodes long it's one of those things that 
you can jump in, you can go through it in a weekend. That's pretty much what I did. I just started watching. I couldn't finish it. The only thing that I didn't like about the series is it has an end that's similar to the movie Zodiac because, and this is a spoiler, but it is a, it is based on a true crime crime situation. And it's one of those things where the series ends and it, I, I don't want to say more. It's, it's a little more anticlimactic than I was hoping. I'll say that because right. <laughs> I don't I, I realized I was going to start dropping major spoilers and I don't. But it's a lot more anticlimactic than I was hoping. And that was my biggest uh, gripe about it. But otherwise, it's like super fun. And I definitely recommend watching it. And it's definitely one of those things that's like you'll watch it and just be like, how is this true? You know, which I think is pretty cool, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. other other than that, and Drew, I don't know if you have any comments or questions, but other than that, for me, it was really just the House of the Dragon premiere. So, all right, well, let's talk about House of the Dragon. Well, how about this? Um, I have a bunch of stuff. So yeah, uh, we have a ton of stuff to talk about, but I have a bunch of reviews. So first off, Andor continues to get cool. <laughs> nice. Um, that is my quick review because this is a very long season, so it continues to get better and add stuff and all this. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. And Andor just continues on the pace that it is. It's hard to talk about Andor, in my opinion, without encompassing all of it, or if you're like, have seen everything, or you know what I mean? So, yeah, since you're behind, there's not much I can say or we can really dive into. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. So <laughs> you can delve deeper if you want. I won't, I won't get it. It's all good. Stuff. I don't want to spoil anything. It's just Andor continues to be cool. Um, in Star Wars news, I did watch Tales of the Jedi has dropped on uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, I watched all six last night. It's They're very short, so you can burn through them pretty quick. Oh, that's uh, awesome. It was really nice. It, first off, it's the Clone Wars animation style. It was great to return to that form. Um, it's two stories juxtaposed against each other. One of them starts the first episode. You've, it, you've seen the trailer. If you've seen the trailer, you know that there's a baby Ahsoka thing. The first episode starts with Baby Ahsoka, and then you get to see some adult Ahsoka later, which kind of bridges the gap of the Clone Wars. Um, and then the other juxtaposed story is Count Dooku's exodus from the Jedi Order, which answers big-time questions that you're going to go, oh, that's how that happened, and oh, that's why this, and oh, you know. So that's, it's, that's cool. It's kind of cool. So it's those two stories juxtaposed against each other. Each episode is about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, it's a lot of fun, so check it out. You can burn through it real quick. It's only six nice. episodes. So, um, Hot D, let's talk about that. House of the yeah. Dragon finale. Um, this was super solid. Um, yeah. My, I Here's the thing. They took 10 episodes, and this is, I think this is a master class in how you do this, because... They said it was going to be about four seasons, and they basically escalated the first season to cover 19 years of storytelling. And then they – so 19 years of storytelling, and then now, according to them, they are going to – everything else will um, fall into place in the – more of the standard Game of Thrones right. timeline, if you will. Like the way Game of Thrones would the, – their pacing – um, and progression of story. Um, 
what I like about that is they took all that time. They trusted the audience to get up to this point. The swords have been drawn. It's time for the war to begin. And now we understand all the reasons why we understand all who all the players are. And there was these great moments where I started to feel that Game of Thrones feel because we've been focusing entirely on one family. And in this final episode, they're like, well, the Starks and the Lannisters and River Run and the Tullys. And uh, they mentioned the wall in episode eight. I'm sorry, episode nine. And like they they started throwing out very familiar things because it's going to be a war amongst the seven kingdoms. Yeah. You know, Um, so I loved every aspect of it. It was such a solid finale for a season. I can't wait for more, but we got a long sit. So I better just enjoy it for what it is and just take my time. So, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think you pointed out some really cool things, like the fact that uh, I believe you said it was a ni- 19 years that we just watched. In, yeah. Uh, in what, ten how ep- many? Eight, ten episodes. Yeah. And uh, the thing that was cool about it is everything they showed was vital information. You know, they're showing how yep. this kind of what led up to this war, but they're showing you everything you need to see. They're not dwelling on things that you don't need to know about, but they told it in a really cool way. There's a really poetic pacing to the season where there's things that happen in episode one that are reflected in uh, episode 10, as far as like, uh, you know, the uh, failed childbirths and uh, funerals uh, after that. And uh, just a lot of the imagery, like I felt like everything was really like poetic and it was really put together really well. Um, I think this last episode played up some of the tension so well, but because by the time you see um, Rhaenyra's youngest son, is it Luke or Lucerus? I believe his name is when he arrives at uh, the Baratheon's uh, castle and you see that uh, a- you see Aemon's dragon in the background as soon as Vagar, he You see Vagar get like silhouetted because of the lightning. Yeah, and I, I couldn't remember the dragon's name, but that like as soon as they showed that and just like not not even to mention the the dark color palette, the rain, the tone of, the, of everything. As soon as that you saw that dragon silhouette, just my heart started racing. I was like, this is not going to go well. And uh, the way it played out, I actually felt was a lot. It could have played out a lot more brutally than what they gave us, but like the tension that they built up just for that scene alone was so impressive. And uh, I know I've been like talking to various friends and stuff. And some people feel like uh, the I don't know. Some people feel like the pacing for the series is too slow or there's not enough action. So, but to me, I, was, I actually thought it has been perfect. But go on. I'm thinking about this because you're not the first person to bring up the pacing of the show. And my problem is, is that these people want this show to feel like the middle of Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have all these new characters that you don't know. You got all this new information that you don't know, and they have to build up to that feel of the middle of Game of Thrones. And that was one of the points they made is like going forward, the show will feel more like regular Game of Thrones. So when people complain about the pacing and stuff, it's like, you guys need to take a step back and like you're, you have expectations. <laughs> Look at what they gave you and why, you know what I mean? It's, it's a weird statement for people to make. And it's like, I don't think you're paying attention to what they've been giving you. 
<laughs> yeah, and and I feel I feel exactly the same way. I feel like if you watch the first season of uh, the original Game of Thrones series, I feel like the pacing is actually pretty similar. Like that first season, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of establishing characters and plot building, and it's this really slow burn. And then Ned Stark dies, and all the crap hits the fan. But it's one of those yeah. things that you watch the first season of Game of Thrones. It's really similar. Like there's not a ton of action like there's a little bits here and there but there's a lot of just plot building and uh i don't know for me like my favorite parts of game of thrones like as much as i do love the battle scenes i really like the more behind the scenes quiet uh sort of scheming and uh tactical uh you know strategizing and everything that all these characters are doing as they you know are engaged in this endless battle for power and i just think that the chess game aspect of game of Thrones is my favorite part of it. And uh, for this season, it was like episode three, I think was when I first started to see like, okay, we're getting into this intricate chess game. I'm ready to go. And I, I honestly loved this season overall, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, we do have to wait till 2024. So everyone just be patient. <laughs> it sucks, but be patient. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, all right. The other thing that I watched, um, so I watched Blonde uh, this week, the Marilyn Monroe film. Uh, oh, okay, nice. Yeah, I still need so to watch this one. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'll say this. This is my review. The movie is unbelievably incredible. It is a masterclass in writing. It is a masterclass in cinematography. It's a masterclass in directing. Ana de Armas is an absolute master at her craft. If she doesn't have Best Actress locked in right now, I don't know what you're going to throw at me for an, al an alternate. Um, it's absolutely insanely good. Here's the downside. It is an incredibly hard watch of a movie. <clears throat> Right. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I will ever watch it a second time. Um, it's incredibly difficult to watch. There is um, there is a fairly graphic rape sequence. There are three uh, abortion sequences. Two of them are very hard to watch. Um, and you feel very un I felt very uncomfortable throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. Um I know a lot about the Marilyn Monroe story as a whole. Um, you know, I, you know, just the era of film, I kind of got into it a little bit back in the day and you learn a lot of things. You've, you, there's documentaries and stuff you can watch. Um, the movie Norma Jean and Marilyn, uh, which with Ashley Judd and Mira Servino is a really good movie and it touches on some of this, but not nearly to the level that this one does. So there's not a lot of it that was a surprise to me, but you have a incredibly intelligent individual who was basically cast aside by her parents and she's like seeking that daddy. She's seeking, she's dealing with some very serious father issues while balancing that with a multiple personality disorder. And on top of it, society and Hollywood have hoisted her up on this pedestal and have basically destroyed this individual the same way that society, I, I liken this to the movie Joker where society ignored and pushed and wrecked an individual and then he became the joker right yeah. um, the other part that i would liken this to is so society failed an individual and we got the joker 
society in Hollywood failed an individual and we got Marilyn Monroe, but here's the catch. Marilyn Monroe is very much like uh, Nina from Black Swan, who's dealing with multiple personality problems. And because of the pressure and everything going on in the industry and from society that she's dealing with, eventually kills herself. It's so I kind of liken it between those two movies, but I was like just uncomfortable watching the whole thing. But it's an incredibly well-made movie. <laughs> um, and it's a long sit. Uh, so be prepared for that. All right, then. So, yeah. Anyway, Blonde. <laughs> bl- look, Blonde was awesome. It was a really, really good movie. But it was hard to watch. It made me very uncomfortable to watch it. I ended up, I was watching it by myself. During one of the abortion scenes, I did get up. I, I don't normally get up for movies, but this was one where I was like, I couldn't watch the screen. So I got up and went to the bathroom, not to the bathroom, into the kitchen, got a drink, you know, yeah. <laughs> walked back in, sat down, finished the movie. But you know what I mean? Like, it was just, I need a quick breather and I'll be back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's my review of Blonde. There is some really cool cinematography stuff they do with uh, aspect ratios. Uh, with widescreen versus full screen, standard edition, 16.9, stuff like that. They do some really cool stuff. But you got to – that's a film nerd thing where I noticed it right away, and I was like, oh, that was clever. <laughs> it's so, nice. Um, but more, on more to a fun topic, um, <laughs> I went and saw Black Adam this week. Nice. Um, and I, I haven't been able to see this yet. Uh, my plans to see it kind of fell through earlier this week, but tell me about it. I can't wait to so, watch this so one. Black, so Black Adam, here's how I'm going to ruin this movie for everybody. Um, and I say that kind of jokingly because I'm going to quote unquote ruin a movie. Here's how the, here's how I'm going to discuss this. There's I don't know how to talk about this movie without spoiling at least the stuff that's in the trailer. Okay. And the bonus scene at the end, I have to spoil, and I don't feel yeah. bad spoiling it because the internet spoiled it because exactly. I knew what the bonus scene was before <laughs> I walked into the theater. The internet has ran wild with this, and Black Adam, because of that bonus scene, has spawned a massive story that we have to discuss, so this segues into news very nicely. So, Black Adam review. The movie is a ton of fun from beginning to end. It is not the best DC movie, in my opinion, but it is definitely a step back in the right direction that we want them to be going. Right. right? That's awesome. Fair? Right. Uh, Black Adam as a character is awesome. He's a formidable character. He's incredibly powerful. It's a lot of fun to watch, this, like the special effects, the way they handled everything. The um, one thing that I will notice, and I do not say this because... I'm not trying to compare Marvel and DC in this statement, but one of the things I had a problem with with Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, was there was so much CG, there were parts of it that felt fake. Yeah. To me, like, it just felt fake, and it just felt not real, and I'm like, it was, it was almost unbelievable with certain aspects of the movie. Mm-hmm. Black Adam, yes, they use CG, but there is so much practical in terms of the sets. Nice. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of set work that was real and practical sets where everything looks very real as opposed to the fake aspect that Thor looked like for, and I'm using that only as an example because it's the most recent of the Marvel movies. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think that's one of, that's a huge criticism of, um, 
Thor Love and Thunder. And I think I don't th- I don't see a lot of people trying to argue against that. So I wouldn't feel bad for using that sure. as a comparison, you know. Sure. Um, there is a character from Peacemaker that makes a cameo in the movie. Nice. Um, so if you, know you're, if you did watch Peacemaker, I thought that was a nice, cool, like, ad. I was like, oh, wait. I was like, wait, is that? Yeah, sure was. Um, the, uh, the thing about Black Adam is, you know, and I, and I think it's cool. There is, he says Shazam, just like Shazam does. And I've seen a lot of stuff on the internet, like, why does Black Adam say Shazam and all that stuff? And it's cool because Black Adam was given his powers by the same wizard that Shazam got his powers from. Yeah. So this, there's some really cool backstory with that where you get to see it all take place. And, like, it's all familiar territory because you've seen Shazam. Um, let's talk about the Justice Society real quick. Hawkman, Dr. Fate, uh, Adam Smasher, and Cyclone. Cyclone, really cool. Um, really cool visual effects. That was kind of impressive because I was like, you know, she controls the wind. Ooh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but when you get it, but when you get it down to business and you get to see how it all plays out, the team aspect, you know, that team like coming together as a team and they're doing everyone's got their job that they know what to do in the battle. Uh, she was a lot of fun to watch. Adam Smasher, he had he had a lot of cool moments. I felt this character, he was clearly meant to be like the comedic relief. But I felt a lot of his stuff kind of landed flat, like it felt rushed, it felt forced um that's a writing thing that is not on the actor at all um but i just felt some of those some of the comedic parts felt a little forced um so i mean otherwise adam smasher was pretty cool um hawkman uh he was great the only criticism i have against with hawkman is it's not the first time we've seen hawkman on the screen hawkman was in smallville he was in arrowverse yeah. Um, and I know those weren't the best representations, but the one thing those representations did do was discuss the Egyptology origin of the character and the reincarnation of the character. And um, because Hawkman, every time every time Hawkman and Hawkgirl die, they get reincarnated and come back to life and have to live their life over again. And I, I kind of wanted that to be in the somewhere in dialogue. I kind because right. I know there's a chance we can see Hawkman again. That's I was kind of like. And I'm not saying he dies in this movie. It's just the idea that we're going to see him again or could see him again. And it's like, I, I was hoping they'd touch on that a little bit with all this one black Adam, you know, he got his powers from a God, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. technically, so did technically so did Hawkman, you know? So I yeah, was kinda, I, well, Oh no, I just kind of feel like we've talked about this with the MCU a little bit where we're getting to the point where there's just so much content in all these different uh, cinematic universes that a lot of the average like normie fans aren't going to see every single movie or every single show. And that's just kind of the way it is, which on one hand, that kind of sucks. But on the, on the, in the same way, it's kind of like reading comics where you try to read as much comics as you can but there's no way that you're gonna you're gonna read every single arc and every single uh issue and whatever every single title and uh you kind of have to fill in information as it goes so maybe you're reading like some justice league storyline and hawkman shows up and they don't really explain anything about the character you just kind of take in what you know about that character. And then later on, you might read a different book where he shows up and you learn a little bit more. And that's kind of the way I'm kind of viewing that sort of stuff, because 
you know, you're talking about Black Adam and you've mentioned like five or six like big superheroes from the DC universe that there's no way they can fit in that much origin information into a movie. And that's just kind of how I'm kind of viewing this is this is kind of like when you start reading comic books and you have no idea who any of these characters are, but you just kind of learn as you go and get little bits of information about each of them as you go, if that makes sense. And I'm, and I'm with you up to a point, And that's only because you know about Hawkman. This is the first, (laughs) this is the first time Hawkman's been on the big. Yeah, I I get that. So for an average moviegoer, if someone says, well, I mean, he's got some cool wings and he flies that cool jet, but what's his, like, actual deal? Because he seems super powered. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has, he clearly has superpowers, but I don't really know much about him. The movie is only two hours and five minutes. They could have given me, like, a, ten more minutes to explain just a couple more things. And yeah, it wouldn't have been that. that big of a deal when a lot of movies are turning out two and a half hours. You know what I mean? So there's there's a bit I don't want to go on a big tangent, but uh, the uh, animated Teen Titans series, the original one, I think is yeah. really brilliant for a lot of ways. And I was watching like a behind the scenes documentary about that. Um, I actually okay. was watching it on YouTube, but it's probably from some DC animated DVD, like behind the scenes look or something. But there was this part where they talked about in that series, they everything they did, they they had this motto of show, don't tell. So they never overly explained things, but they presented things like really simply so you could just understand everything. Like there's this part where uh, I don't remember what character it was, but it's like the first episode you're introduced to all these characters. And one of the characters says to Starfire, like, tell me about how you were the princess of Tamaria or whatever. And then Starfire says her line back. And it's like so much was just established by like, okay, this, this character isn't from earth. Like, you know, something about her backstory. There is so much presented about her without having to overly explain it. It was just a quick line of dialogue that filled in so many gaps. And it sounds like you kind of wish there was a little bit more of that yeah. In Black Adam, you know, you're you're that's a perfect that's a perfect example, because there's a lot of stuff that could be covered just in dialogue. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to be shown. But like it would have been nice for like Dr. Some, you know, someone make a like a comment like you think you can handle it? Well, it doesn't matter because if he dies, he's going to be reincarnated because of blah, 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 blah. blah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> or like so. I, I kind of feel like not to stay on a Game of Thrones uh, hype train, but I feel like Game of Thrones like both series, um, as far as the TV shows are written that way, where there's these quick lines of dialogues, uh, dialogue, and a lot of them just really suggest things about the characters. And then as soon as you hear like this little bit, it fills in so many gaps like, oh, this person's an asshole or, oh, this person cheats on his wife all the time, you know, just from these like really little bits of dialogue. And I feel like there's a really smart way to uh do character building like that with like these really tiny comments that you can work into your script. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent with this. Uh, you can Good. keep talking about black. Adam. <laughs> um, Dr. Fate was fantastic. Um, that was one, again, I shouldn't be surprised when I see stuff on the big screen, but they handled Dr. Fate really, really well. And I was very like kind of happy with it. Nice. Um, and I just thought Dr. Fit, he was just handled so good, perfectly. Um, Pierce Brosnan was great. I didn't really know what to think about that as a casting, but it was just great and it worked. And um, yeah, Dr. Fate's cool. Um, 
Let's talk about the bonus scene real quick, and then we'll move on to news because the bonus scene kind of segues us really well. Um, oh, <laughs> absolutely. Quick, on the, quick review on Black Adam. When I say, when when you hear people say there's a lot of action sequences, there's not a lot of downtime in this movie. It is a it is like from end of movie beginning of movie to end of movie, nothing but action. <laughs> That's awesome. Like almost sounds sounds like a Dwayne Johnson movie, to be honest. It's almost it's almost two hours of straight action. And then it's a little tiny little pockets where they're like, well, we got to give you a little bit of story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it was more action than anything else. So there's not I was literally like, there's not much I can say about this movie other than have fun and go see it because there's so much action sequence. Um, That's great. The bonus scene at the end. Um Black Adam is presented with a communication from an individual, and then another individual shows up. Um, the individual, if you've been the in, the second individual I mentioned, the one who who shows up and arrives, is sorry, the internet already spoiled it, but it is Superman. Um, yeah, Henry Cavill Superman. It is Henry Cavill Superman for sure because he's not hiding his face the way they did with Shazam. Um, <laughs> he's, he's in it. There's a couple lines of dialogue. It is like awesome. It's fantastic. Um, and it segues us heavily into uh, news because shortly after Black Adam drops, the news is Henry Cavill says he is back as Superman. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, quote, I wanted to make it official. I'm back as Superman. Uh, a very small taste of what is to come, my friends. The dawn of hope renewed. Thank you for your patience. It will be rewarded. Um, That's okay. awesome. So are we getting Man of Steel 2? Are we getting... Um, are we getting Man of Steel 2? Or are we getting... Uh, Man of, is it going to be titled Man of Tomorrow? Who knows? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a good title. <laughs> um, let's see. On the Superman front, there is... Because there's a lot to this. Like, there's a lot to this. Okay. Um, Henry. Okay, so this comes from the Hollywood Reporter. Henry Henry Cavill revealed that he wore the same exact Superman suit he wore in Man of Steel for his appearance in Black Adam. I thought that was awesome. Um, I chose that one in particular because of the nostalgia attached to it, to the suit. It was an incredibly important to me to be standing there and enjoying that moment. Um, he also said his details about his return to Krypton. Um, oh, I that's I got to come back for that. I can't read that part of the quote um, because it spoils another segment of this. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to that in a second. Zack Snyder posted a video. This is interesting. Zack Snyder posted a video congratulating Henry Cavill for coming back as Superman and saying at the end of the video, can't wait to work with you again. Mm, OK, um, that raises <laughs> questions in my mind going, OK, so. DC, and this is where we're going to segue into the other stuff. DC has gotten rid of Ansarnoff. They've gotten rid of Walter Hamada. Jason Kalar is gone. We now have David Zaslav, who is president of everything going on, and he's trying to restore and keep everything in a little bit of a balance here. Um, there is... Um, so, with... I'm going to come back. I'm going to bounce around this story a lot because there's so much to cover. Um, for those of for those who doubt The Rock's influence in getting Superman back, he explains that he started working on this six years ago. For six years, the leadership um, at WB kept saying no. 
Uh, Shazam was always guaranteed, but let's be real. But Superman, um, old regime had had no care for him. So The Rock has been pushing for six years to get Superman reinstated. Um, and it was just it. No one was letting it happen. So. Um, let's see here. Sorry, my stories are all over the place because it's so much news. Yeah. so fast. Well, uh, I, I remember last week we were talking about um, how you were talking about how. Dwayne Johnson has said that Superman was always his favorite comic book character, right. but he got really into uh, Black Adam uh, after right. that. And uh, that's really cool that he's been um, behind the scenes, really like fighting the good fight to get Superman back onto the big screen. And um, no, it's it's just awesome. Um I mean, I haven't seen Black Adam yet, so I can't give my thoughts, but everything I've yeah. been hearing about Dwayne Johnson as far as a advocate for the dc films right now i'm just loving everything that i'm hearing so um yeah <laughs> well, well henry cavill is officially back followed by a story that says rumor ben affleck signs on for three more batman movies yeah <laughs> so okay. i've been I've, <laughs> I've been trying to since i haven't seen it yet i've been trying to avoid spoilers a little bit so i've been staying out of this a little bit like the whole dc realm of things but i did see that ben affleck was coming back <laughs> It was just really funny and confusing, but exciting okay. as well. So. I'm going to say that there is a lot of back and forth we've been doing on this show, but we are trying our hardest to keep our listener listeners up to date with everything going on. Yeah. Moments after the Ben Affleck story dropped, this is the big one that hit, and it's a big one. All right. Let me, oops, I, as I mess up my screen. <laughs> Um, as I mess up my screen here. Okay, here we go. James Gunn and Peter Safran to lead DC Studios as co-CEOs. Yeah. James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy and the Suicide Squad, and Peter Safran, producer of Shazam and The Conjuring, will become the CEOs of DC Studios, a new division that Warner Brothers at Warner Brothers that will replace DC Films and oversee film, television, and animation projects. All right. Um... Let's see. Yep. Okay. That's just a repeat. Sorry. I, I flagged so much of this stuff because I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is such, <laughs> this is such good news. Um, yeah, I right. think it's awesome. James. Okay. Uh, yeah. James Gunn and producer Steven Sanford have been tapped to lead DC's TV and animation efforts as co-chairs and CEO studios, newly formed division at Warner brothers that will replace DC films. Gunn will focus on the creative side of things, while Saffron will so focus on the business and production side. Both right. are expected to continue to direct and produce projects. Um, and then Kevin Feige says he will be first in line to see what James Gunn does at DC, um, <laughs> which I thought was great. I, I, saw, I thought it was great. But I think that gives us a really good example that he is done at DC – um, I'm sorry, done at Marvel. James Gunn is officially done at Marvel with this news because how he's there's no way he's going to be like a CEO at DC and still making Marvel movies. So you're getting your Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special and then you're getting Guardians of the Galaxy three and then James Gunn's over on the other side of the pond. Um, not yeah. say, you know, but he had that he said he loved doing Suicide Squad and he's working on um, Peacemaker still. So you got some really cool stuff coming. James Gunn is a director, and I think he was in that camp of let's let's see what Zack Snyder was doing. James Gunn might be the one 
who reached out to Zack Snyder going, we can't say anything yet, but you need to, you need to get back in the saddle. We got another Superman movie to make. Um, yeah, good call. Uh, David Zaslav has, there's been quotes of him saying, we need to put a stop to this. You know, The Rock is saying, we need to be listening to the fans because they're screaming and they're mad and the studio needs to be listening. And, you know, one studio is doing it right and they're listening and one studio is doing it wrong and they're not listening. So it, you, you got to listen to the fans. Um, so that being said, um, in the midst of all this news, uh, so this is a statement from James Gunn and Peter Safran. We're honored to be the stewards of these DC characters we've loved since we were children and looking forward to collaborating with the most talented writers, directors, and actors in the world to create an integrated, multi-layered universe. Um, everything that I'm hearing and everything I'm reading, all like because I'm, I'm giving you guys highlights, but I'm reading into these articles and it makes me really excited to see where we're going. I think James Gunn really understood what he was doing with the Suicide Squad. And being able to tackle some of those weird, crazy characters, yes, having that influence is going to be massive. Again, <laughs> The Rock, sorry, the, the Black Adam still is using the visual language from the, the Snyderverse. They never got away from it. And I think that's going to be a huge thing if they can get Snyder back in. And I guarantee if Affleck's coming back, because you know, you know Henry Cavill's not like, well, I'm not coming back for this Man of Steel too. you got to give me everything. Man of Steel, Justice League, Justice League 3, Justice League 2, Justice League 3, let's do another Superman movie, whatever. There's no way you get Ben Affleck back if you're not doing the same kind of thing. Yeah, there's so. no, no way it's only going to be a one-movie contract for either of those right. um, actors. So, right. uh, yeah, this is this is awesome. G keep going. Go ahead. There's okay. so many, so many there's, aspects. There's so many this. things. There's so many things. They did release a statement today that Joker 2 will remain outside of James Gunn's DC universe. Okay. So that's, I mean, I think we all kind of, I mean, the first Joker movie felt very outside of the situation. It was kind of like it's an isolated thing. Um, so knowing the Joker 2, that's not a surprise, but, you know, I'm going to, my butt's going to be in a seat for it. Um, and then the Green Lantern television series is no longer going to be, well, I don't know if it's going to be a full series or not. So, um, HBO's Green Lantern series is now being redeveloped. Um, the series will now focus on Jon Stewart. It was originally going to focus on various Green Lanterns, including Adam Scott, Alan Scott, and Guy Gardner. Uh, yeah. writer and showrunner, uh, Seth Graham Smith has, de uh, departed the series after completing the scripts for all, for a full season of eight episodes. <laughs> Um, the budget for HBO's Green Lantern series is expected to be significantly less than previously planned, but they've now decided they're going to focus primarily on Jon Stewart. Um, I think that's a really good choice. So I think it's a great choice. Um, I prefer Hal Jordan, but he's the Green Lantern I like the most. Jon Stewart is a very, very smart choice because most of the people that are like either early adults or the ones trying to get their kids into this stuff right now or enjoying it with their kids. They grew up with justice league and yep. series and John Stewart was the green lantern from that. Um, so this is a very smart decision. I just kind of hope Hal Jordan is in there somewhere or it's touched on or something because he's my favorite green lantern. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like he's gotta be, I think it's uh with green lantern, as long as they focus on the green lantern core, like it's not just one person like i feel like the ryan reynolds movie was a little bit too 
singular focused, you know, like, why did he have to be like the main guy fighting off the villain in that movie? Why couldn't they have brought in the rest of the core and stuff? And I think uh, if the show focuses on that, I feel like it's a given that we're going to see, depending on how long the show goes, we're going to see, you know, Hal Jordan, you yeah. know, potentially Guy Gardner, potentially a lot of other Green uh, Green Lantern characters that we know and love. So, yeah. Um and then the last, and I have one more piece of DC news. It's kind of small, but we're going to have so much to talk about in the realm of DC and what they're building and what James Gunn and Peter Safran are going to be putting together as they build this whatever universe. I mean, James Gunn is going over there to be DC's Kevin Feige, and I'm really curious to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. Um. So there's going to be a lot to discuss as news drops. We're going to be right here, and we're going to be dissecting all of it for you. Uh, the last piece of DC news I got is, according to The Hollywood Reporter, WB wants Christopher McQuarrie from Mission Impossible as a writer for the next Superman movie. Um, I'm okay. I'm down for this only because I think Christopher McQuarrie did great work over with Mission Impossible. I know it's a completely different – I know that's like spies and practical stuff as opposed to superheroes and capes and science fiction. But Christopher McQuarrie, I think, is a good writer. Um, he also um, – Christopher McQuarrie also helped with uh, one of, I think he helped with uh, Batman Superman, I believe. Okay. I want to say that's right. Um, drawing a blank, Ben Affleck brought in a writer specifically for. Uh, uh, oh, you might be Batman. thinking of Colin Trevorrow. No, it's not Colin Trevorrow. I might have to look that up. Ben Affleck brought in a writer specifically for Batman vs. Superman to take a pass at the script um, before it went to screen. Um, so I, th- I want to say it was Christopher McQuarrie, which means he would already know how this – he already knows the flow of this specific Superman. Right. Um, I believe it's him. Um, so I just thought that was good. That was a good, exciting news. Um, in other news, I have two other quick stories – actually, three other quick stories – um, Adam Driver might be joining Marvel's uh, Fantastic Four. So Kylo Ren himself might be joining Fantastic Four. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> it's a rumor. I don't know what the plan is. A lot of people are assuming uh, Doctor Doom, and I'm totally down with it. But right now it's kind of like in talks kind of a rumor. So we'll confirm it next week. With see, the I, th- I thought he was going to be Reed Richards, to be honest. But Doctor Doom, that could be pretty interesting. So. Not Reed who Richard, I would expect them Reed to Richards cast. Would be cool, but Reed Richards would be cool. But if you said, hey, these are all the characters in this comic book, and we want him to be one of them, who would your pick be? I'd go Doctor Doom. That would <laughs> literally be my first go at I was just, I was just thinking, like, he's a tall, lanky guy, so I could picture him stretching more than, like, other actors. But I think, yeah. I think you've got a more well-thought-out response to that question. So. Yeah. Um, Star Wars news, a new Star Wars movie. This is this is funny. A new Star Wars movie is in the works that could feature the return of some characters from the 2010s. Uh, a script is being written by Watchmen, uh, by by Watchmen's Damon Lindelof, along with newcomer Justin Britt Gibson. Uh, the following work done by a script writers in a room that came together after this year's Star Wars celebration and broke the story this July. Um, they're saying that. Um, this this new Star Wars movie is going to take place post the Skywalker saga, so after Episode Nine. So we might see a continuation of that. It might be something completely different. Um, I don't have a problem with this. It's exciting. It's more Star Wars. I'm happy for that. But this broke 
And then another story broke saying Disney told Lucasfilm to stop announcing projects. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Probably because this stuff's so early in development. It's like, shut up. Like, because we keep, I feel like they kind of keep back, they backpedal a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You guys need to stop talking about it. Um, And the final piece of news, um, Doctor Who is coming to Disney Plus with David Tent. Uh, David Tennant returning. Disney Plus will be official home for a new Doctor Who whose episodes outside of the UK begin in 2023. David Tennant is also returning for the 60th anniversary before passing the TARDIS uh, to the new Doctor. Um, so I don't know if the, how this is going to be in conjunction with the other Doctor Who stuff. But Well, it's, it's interesting he's coming back because isn't he like four Doctors ago or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, but I I know he's Tenet, still like Tennant, Smith, Capaldi, Whitaker, and then the new guy. So yeah, four doctors back. Yeah, but but I know that he's still one of the top three like fan favorite. Like everybody loves uh, him yeah. in that role. So it, it makes sense. It's just uh, interesting. Yeah. So that's it for the news. Um, I think it's list time. But yeah, we have a <laughs> we have a ton of DCC. We have a ton of DC stuff coming. So. Well, that's that's what I was going to say is I kind of almost feel like we could have talked about the DC stuff for like another hour. But as you said, we're going to be talking about this probably weekly with a bunch of different updates coming up. So definitely really exciting stuff. If you and I just go on a tangent of talking about DC stuff right now, it's going to be all speculation because us, like (laughs) everybody else, doesn't know anything. We're just going to be talking about excitement about James Gunn True, in those seats. So. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy the fact that we got this cool thing coming. Um, and I honestly can't wait for more because, like, it, it was interesting. I went into Black Adam knowing the big secret at the end. And I walked out of Black Adam kind of wanting to refresh my mind with Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League. You yeah. Know, like, it was like, let's refresh everything um, and take another pass at all that because... Yeah. Anyway, um, let's talk about tonight's list because uh, it's Halloween and I think it's time we do that. So let's take a quick moment (laughs) to roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. Um, Well... Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, so, Peter, tonight's list uh, yes. is really my pick. It's not really your pick. Um, this is kind of a built-in one because we decided to do a Halloween episode. So, um, the Peter and I have done a couple different Halloween episodes, like your favorite scary movie. I think um, I'd have to go back and look at our giant list of lists, if I will. But we're going to talk about some moments from pop culture that scared us. I say that because I have a video game on my list. Um, so yeah, I don't know how, if you had problem putting this together, um, I had a little <laughs> bit of trouble cause I was like, Oh wait, no, this. And then I was like, Oh wait, no, like, <laughs> yeah, know, piecing it together. took a little bit of time, but, um, yeah. Thoughts on the list. I, I thought it was incredibly difficult cause, um, I don't know. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be annoying about it, but like, I do tend to have a hard time finding, um, movies and stuff that can scare me um i do think that uh i do think video games is actually a really good place to go when you want to be scared uh i just don't 
play enough video games to have like a lot of options to go to as far as that goes. So most of my list, I actually have a decent, like I've got a book, a couple comics, uh, some movies, but it's mostly movie focused. And that was the difficulty was I feel like I've for so long I've had I've done such a good job of separating like if I watch a movie, it never usually sticks with me or like scares me that much to make my list. So it was really hard to just like land on the specific picks I wanted to go with. But uh, definitely a really fun list to go to put together. Uh, the Halloween episodes of our podcast are always some of my favorites. So I'm really excited to uh, go into this topic. Um, I know you said it's neither mine or your pick this week. Um, I do have two honorable mentions, which probably sounds funny because I said I had a difficult time putting my list together. But uh <laughs> Uh, I don't know if how many honorable mentions you have this week, though. One. Okay. Fair so enough. I'm going to let you go first only because you just have the one. Absolutely. All right. So, um, sorry, what was that? I just have the one. So that's why. I, yeah. yeah, you can go first. Okay, cool. And we're doing specific moments, correct? Well, I want to say moments is a good one because I have moments in here. But like yeah. one fun where I'm like, well, technically it's the whole movie. But, you know, okay, I, fair, so, fair enough. I was going to say there's a little bit of cheating on my own rule, but I was kind of trying to stick it to the moments themselves. So, right. Um, that's what I was going to say. My first pick is kind of a cheat, but I actually went with this uh, this indie comic miniseries that I bought at a comic con, Chicago Comic Con. It must have been. 2009, I want to say. So this is a while ago, but it's this series called Bump, which is just kind of this really cool hardcore like horror series. It's uh, sure. written and drawn by uh, this awesome uh, comic artist, uh, Mark Kidwell, who I actually met at the convention. And uh, it's one of those conventions where I was there every day and I bought his books on day one, went back to the hotel, read them, came back the next day and like talk to him about what I thought of him. And that's like a really, really fun experience. If anybody has the chance to do that sort of thing, like it's really, really cool to literally go back to the artist and tell him like, dude, your comic was awesome. I love this part. It's like really, really fun. But this book I love because it's, it's pretty demented. Like it's kind of the way he describes the book is that it's uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Poltergeist. So you're, it's a book where you're dealing with a, really demented Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque family that kind of, you know, lures people onto their property and does really messed up stuff to them. Uh, the main um, sort of killer villain guy in the book is this guy named Eddie, who <laughs> he has this method of like cutting out people's body parts and putting them in these wooden puppet like dolls that he makes and uh, sure. there's like a supernatural thing that occurs and the dolls come alive and it kind of plays out like a really gruesome gore uh gory monster movie essentially but uh this book i think he i think it's just really cool because this is a book that's made by somebody who loves horror and he's with a comic book it's really hard to deliver scares and i think the book's really well put together where you know he works in those jump scares like uh you know, there's those moments where you're reading one page of the comics comic and it's building something up and then you turn the page and that's your jump scare because there's the monster jumping out at you on the next page. And there's a lot of really smart moments like that. So 
that's why I would recommend this book and it makes my list and the story really stuck with me uh, after reading. So there you go. Bump. (laughs) It's called bump, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mine's a little short um, because I couldn't really pick one specific moment, but then I thought of something. Um, This is the walking dead. There's a lot of great, scary specific moments and they do a really good job, especially early, early on. They do a really nice job of trying to scare you where walking dead gets me almost every time is when I was like really heavily watching it, I would have the most horrific zombie nightmares. Like nice, like ridiculous, <laughs> but they weren't like nightmares. Like where you wake up in a cold sweat or you'd be like, Oh my God, I'm having a nightmare. These are nightmares. Like you, I couldn't wake up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and they were just like zombie, horrifying zombie nightmares. Sometimes it wasn't even zombies. It was literally like you're in the zombie apocalypse and it's just a survival nightmare. Um, it was it was crazy, but they were also like a lot of fun. And I was talking to and I say that they were a lot of fun because we were talking about it with some friends a while back about just this type of stuff. And I was like, man, I haven't had a good zombie nightmare in a while. <laughs> um. So, yeah, good stuff. But, yeah, um, Walking Dead, that's the only reason. It's, like, a lot of great scary moments, but I used to have crazy zombie nightmares about it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, The Walking Dead, That's first of all, that's awesome. I feel like that's a cool sign that you got that into the story for it to uh, affect your subconscious in that way, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> that sounds kind of messed up, but I do think that's pretty cool. But uh, The Walking Dead, when it was on TV, I think it was I was a couple seasons in and uh, – there's a really graphically violent scene that I watched where they, you know, it has all the characters like killing a zombie or something. And I, I remember thinking like, I can't believe this show is on cable TV. Like I had to take a step back and go like, I can't believe like, yes, these are zombies. They're technically, you know, dead people or undead people they're killing, but they're still doing the most gory stuff I've ever seen on like cable television. And I, it just really surprised me. So it doesn't really um, it totally makes sense that this would make your list in that way. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, man, what's your next honorable mention? Yeah, my next one, it was really this one was really hard to decide because there was a couple things I wanted to include. But I actually went with I've mentioned this uh, manga and anime a lot of times, but uh, I went with Berserk. Um If you read the manga for Berserk, there's a ton of uh, Berserk is like a really dark medieval fantasy story um for anybody who doesn't know but if you read the manga there's a lot of really horrific scenes and there's a lot of these sort of like like there's hey, i was trying to type but i was trying to type but which which manga sorry oh uh berserk B. okay that's what i thought you said i was literally going i'm like typing walking dead onto the list and then i was like i missed your title yeah um no but if you read the manga there's a lot of really really cool scenes where like i mean it's like like a lot of other animes and mangas like this series deals a lot with uh, fighting demons and stuff. But I actually feel like if you read the manga, it's one of the better. I think it's one of the best horror, even though it's not technically horror, like it's technically like dark fantasy. There's still a lot of horror moments like there's some parts where it's almost like a dream sequence where the main character guts is like being haunted by a demon and they play it out really creepy. Or there's parts where. uh I remember early in the series, there's this like really cool part where he fights off a bunch of uh, skeleton warriors and it really looks like something out of like Tales from the Crypt or something like that. But the scene, the one scene I'd pick, and I feel like it's the one scene I 
to be fair, Berserk does some very, very graphic stuff. But the one thing I have to go with is the Eclipse uh, story arc of the series. And the Eclipse is it's basically the craziest, most brutal, most brutal, most brutal anime betrayal of all time where you, you have uh, Guts, the main character in Berserk. He's in this uh, this sort of army sort of situation called the uh, Band of the Hawk. And the leader of this uh, warrior band that's engaged in all these battles and stuff basically sells out his entire clan, like his entire army. He sells them all out so that he can become a god. And that's essentially this is spoilers, but it's still OK because the series is still awesome if you know this. But he essentially sells everybody out so he can become uh, this like demon and the eclipse is a part of the story that it takes a turn from going to like a regular medieval battle type series into a crazy demonic surreal just weirdness horrific imagery type thing and it's a very very um stark juxtaposition and it's something that's that will stick with you and it's something that there's parts of the eclipse that if you watch the 1997 anime, this is basically how the anime ends, is it ends with the most brutal, <laughs> horrific stuff you've ever seen. And there's parts that will stick with you. And I think that's why it scares me is like, one, the imagery is so, so striking, but also some of it's so brutal, um, very, very violent, very, very dark, very hard to sit through. I will give that warning. Definitely rated uh, mature. But if you have the stomach for it, it's also an awesome story. And uh, the Eclipse, some of the imagery from that uh, specifically has lived on in a lot of other media. Like even um, I want to say I think it's Avengers Endgame. Is that the one where uh, the movie where Hawkeye and um, Black Widow are both trying to uh, <laughs> jump off, fight for who's going to fall off the cliff? And yeah, die, that's, basically. that's Cellstone. Yeah. Yeah, Soulstone. So after that sequence, after that sequence, you have Hawkeye, like who's sitting in like this shallow um, water area and there's like an eclipse behind him and the sky's really dark and stuff. That imagery is like lifted directly out of Berserk and the eclipse story arc. And it's really it's really interesting to read that manga and then see how it's affected like some really, really super mainstream uh, media. So definitely recommend it. And this just had to be mentioned for a horror moment for sure. So, yeah. Um, Sorry, to, I rambled on way too much for an honorable no. mention, but <laughs> it's all good. Sometimes we do that and it's all right. Um, did you so it's my first actual pick, right? Yes. All right. My first actual pick is the remake of it's the newer version of House on Haunted Hill. Okay. Um, nice. The the movie, I really liked the remake. I love the original, um, but I really liked the remake a lot. What I didn't like about the remake was the end when you finally got to see the main ghost. I thought it was it was just not the best CGI stuff. Um, yeah, could have, a little, could have been a little bit better sequencing in the ending. But the thing that drove me nuts is I have and this and I it's just terrifying because there's a lot of sequences that fall in place with this, but. Watching scary movies, one of the environments that I just can't stand and I get really squirmy with is basements and run down hospitals. And (laughs) 
the house on haunted I feel hill like that's the majority of horror movies right there it, it, right but it's the um like it like when they're in the hospital and walking dead he's in the hospital and you're just waiting for the zombie to pop out right yeah. well in house on the haunted hill it's ghosts and they're in an abandoned mental institution and there's a section of it that's like kind of okay to wander around and then there's a section that's like the undisturbed area and they actually have to go into it and you're just like okay we're not in an okay environment this isn't cool and just messed up stuff happens and then they have to go into the basement of that undisturbed area and that's where it's just like it just <laughs> you know it's just as an environment so the environment itself these sequences where they go into those basement areas and then the people start getting lost and turned around. That's where it like really kind of made my skin crawl, but I had so much fun watching it that um, those are some of my favorite sequences in the movie. So, um, but yeah, that was my pick. So nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I don't know if I've seen, I've definitely seen parts of this movie. I don't know if I've watched the whole thing, but it's definitely been a long time. So <laughs> I don't have too much to say, but uh, yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, so you really haven't seen the remake of this? I think I've seen parts of it at least, but okay. yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. <laughs> right. I might the have way, seen it though. By the way, in the realm of scary movies, I think you still have my copy of John Carpenter's Vampires. Just saying. Yep. I did uh, watch it, but I do need to give it back. I know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Um, um, your first pick. Yes. Yeah, so the first one I went to was uh, I went with the movie Carrie. Um, I went with the original one and uh, I really went with the very end um, after, you know, Carrie goes to prom. There's the whole pig blood incident and everything that occurs there. And she comes home. She uh, takes a, a shower or a bath. I can't remember. She comes out and she's greeted by her mom and, uh, her mom uh, prays with her and uh, tells her about um, how she was conceived and stuff and how her mom views that Carrie was conceived out of sin and how that sin has stuck with Carrie her whole life. And is kind of it's like her mom kind of views it as like this weird, um, like evil sense of karma, like she's being uh, Carrie's like a bad person because of the way she was conceived and uh, her mom ends up, this is a spoiler, but she ends up uh, killing Carrie in that scene. And uh, the whole thing plays out and it, it's super creepy, like because the mom's like hugging Carrie, comforting her, but then she reaches out the knife and stabs Carrie in the back. And then they, she's following Carrie down the stairs as Carrie's trying to get away. And the mom does like this super creepy, like sign of the cross with the knife that she's carrying. And uh, lo and behold, the whole like kitchen, like the whole lower level of their house is filled with candles. And it's just super, it's so creepy. And that movie did such a good job of playing up like the, yes, the mom is super religious and that's usually associated with like being a good thing, but it's presented in such a demented, like, really creepy sort of way and I feel like all that imagery really always stuck with me and it's something that I think back to and it always creeps me out and uh the way that uh I mean I'm, I've been spoiling the end of this film so you know Carrie <laughs> uses her telekinetic whether they're super powers or supernatural I'm not sure but she uses that to destroy the house and stuff and of course like there's one final sort of jump scare after that but it's that whole scene was just always so creepy when like the mom's creepy throughout the movie, but it all just culminates in that one spot for me. So. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I totally hear you. The one thing the Stephen King movies do really well is like build the tension for the big scare yeah. moments. Um, and I never, I've never been like scared of a Stephen King movie so much as everything has just been super intense. Yeah. You know what I well, mean? Like more than well, anything for, else. For me, that's kind of like The Shining too. Like I don't watch The Shining and feel scared, but then it's like afterwards I think about like. Yeah, but what if I was Jack Nicholson's character and I was the one who went crazy and sure. killed my family? And that's when it starts to scare me. And I feel like Car- this same Carrie thing is kind of similar, even though while watching this movie for the first time, it really creeped me out. And by the way, I think I was like 12 years old when I first saw this movie. So that maybe that's why it like holds such a high place in my like scare level list. You know what I mean? But sure. Um there is, yeah, I hear you. Um, my turn, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So this one is uh, The Exorcist. This is literally like Good pretty, call. Much, pretty much literally the whole movie. Um, and, <laughs> right. <laughs> and like literally like there is this is one that legit scared me because there's one thing, you know, I, I enjoy slasher movies, but eventually slasher movies become a chase film. I enjoy creature features, but eventually they become a chase film. Or if it's Del Toro doing it, it's this really like somber piece about um, how much I should care for the creature as opposed to fear it. Um, <laughs> and right. then and then you have a ghost story, which ghost stories I find a little bit more terrifying because I feel that they tap that unknown in your yes. brain a little bit more than anything else. But um, The Exorcist, it's like the ghost stuff but you throw in real religious stuff, <laughs> you know? And I think that really like tickles your brain a little bit more because there seems to be more realism to it than most of the others. Um, right. And uh, as, as a whole, and I remember when they were releasing the uh, director's cut in theater and this was a date movie for me, man. Like I'm like, dude, exorcist is coming out. We got to go see it. Yeah. Not the best choice for a date movie, but um <laughs> it's uh it's the movie itself, you didn't pick deliverance i guess <laughs> true it's incredible it was incredible and i'm glad i went to see the you know director's cut when they released it in theaters and i'm glad i and honestly i'm kind of glad i saw it in a big crowded theater as opposed to yeah. watching by myself in dark at the house <laughs> yeah um because i think i would have had a lot more trouble with it if that was the case um uh but yeah exorcist almost as a whole so thoughts definitely Definitely a good call. I don't, from what you've just said, I don't know too much to add on to it. Um, one thing I was just thinking about with The Exorcist is that Exorcist is a movie that, you know, it was made, I want to say during the 70s. And so obviously it's all practical effects. And some of the effects you can see, like some of them are dated a little bit, but at the same time, like, um, is it, who's the main girl? Is it Linda Blair? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, like her, like some of her makeup, like you can kind of see that it's makeup and stuff nowadays, but it looks gross and it kind of helps the effectiveness of the movie because <laughs> like even right. the effects that didn't age well, they still yeah, yeah, yeah. look really gross to look at and it really works in the movie's favor. The movie's like aged a lot better than you'd expect. But uh, no, this is a creepy movie and it does have that it has that supernatural level of like unknown and uh, it has that, you know, like you said, that real religious level and it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a really great call. So yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, all right, man. What's your next one? Yeah. So we went from Carrie, which is creepy religious stuff. And uh, we went to Exorcist, which was some more creepy religious stuff. And uh, I think I'll change it up and go with uh, some demon stuff. <laughs> uh, my, my next pick. And this is really this is really a specific moment. But I went with the movie Insidious. Um, and it's really like it's just one jump scare in the movie. And it's it's just played up so well that I had to pick it. And it's a jump scare that's always stuck with me. But it's this part where so there's this family in Insidious that's like haunted by a demon and they're haunted in this one house and they end up leaving that house and moving into another one. And uh, after they move into the next house, the demon basically followed them. So this is like the scene is basically like. I believe it's a couple meeting with uh, this medium who's trying to help them out with this uh, demon situation. And uh, the medium ends up talking about this dream that she had or this vision, this meditation. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she talks about in her meditation, she went into their house and saw the demon in there. And uh, the de- she asked the demon, like, what do you want from this family? And the demon, like, gestured towards their son when when he was sleeping and it was this it's real it's this really creepy kind of like quiet moment that she leads you in and almost immediately after that there's this jump scare where the same medium lady sees the demon right behind um the father of the family and it's like this split second shot and it's like it's led in with this like creepy creepy tale of this lady's meditation right into like bam jump scare right after that and it always makes you jump and it's one of those things if you press pause and you look at what this demon character looks like it's one of those things where if you really examine the makeup and stuff you're like okay so it's a guy who's painted mostly black and red with some light prosthetics and he doesn't necessarily look that creepy when you just look at him for like a long paused period of time but when you only see it for a split second it looks exactly how you would envision a demon in your head. And it's just so effective. And I think about the jump scare all the time. Like whenever like this kind of uh, subject matter comes up in a conversation and I think they just, they did it so well. It's just such a well executed jump scare and it's such a striking visual that they pulled off there. So I don't know if you've seen insidious drew, but this is always one of the moments that, has really gotten me i um, unfortunately have not seen insidious so okay i don't really have much to say about otherwise other than that sounds pretty cool actually (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good movie if you want to just creep yourself out um and you want to watch like something within the last 10 years i guess (laughs) i don't remember exactly when it came out but sure um all right so the next one is a video game um specifically doom 3 Uh, (laughs) there's some look there's some really really cool uh scary video games out there like real like messed up ones uh doom 3 it's not i don't know if i'd say this is the best one in the series it's a little bit older so if you were to go back and play it now the graphics aren't going to be what to me what they were at the time um but i will say that like this game specifically in terms of moments um when i started playing it and playing in the dark with headphones um, on the biggest TV I could at the time, and I found myself only able to play it 10 minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> I It was like, you know, something would happen, and you'd be like, nope, I'm done, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm good, turn it off. 
Um, and it was probably maybe the first hour of the game I played at 10 minutes of a time. And then I told myself, stop playing in the dark, stop using headphones and start playing in the middle of the day. So there's a point where it becomes a little more demonic. (laughs) Yeah. It starts out in the science facility with the zombies and the jump scares. And then it becomes a little bit less of that and more standard doom running around killing monsters. Once you get to that point, I was okay. Um, And it was just regular doom to me. But prior to that, that maybe that first hour, it was bad. Like 10 minutes at a time. Nope. Turn off the Xbox. Go do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Save Anaconda. Like it was, yeah, it was funny. So yeah, Doom 3, dude. (laughs) And then the new Doom, Doom Eternal. um, There's a couple jump scares, but it's mostly like very fast. Gotta move. Gotta kill. Stay alive. (laughs) So it's a completely different feel. So uh, the, nice. new, the new Doom is a lot more like uh, the originals, where it's like move quick and shoot. So yeah, <laughs> that sounds uh, hilarious and awesome, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I was just thinking I can move on to my next pick, but I was just thinking like I feel like my list has focused so much on like the dark and demonic stuff, and like I love horror, but usually the stuff that I get really into is like. I like the goofy, fun creature features stuff. <laughs> and like, it's funny because this list is what we watched that scared us. And it's just funny because I'm realizing a lot of my stuff probably sounds way darker than the stuff I'd typically talk about, which is kind of funny. But um, moving on into my next real pick, quick, I need to apologize. I sometimes I Google stuff as we go and <laughs> I had an ad start playing. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> So if you heard a weird noise, unfortunately, it's right in the middle of you talking. So I can't fix that in post. I just if you hear a noise, that's what it was. I was silencing an ad because sometimes I keep up with like, for example, like if we talk about something and I want to know more if there, so I don't forget something. So that's what that was. <laughs> Sorry. Or maybe the noise was coming from inside your house. It probably was. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the next one I was going to go into is uh I actually went with uh, Paranormal Activity, and uh, this is a movie that... What were you going to say? I just... Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So this is a movie that I feel like... This is a super low budget. Like, and I'm talking about this first original... The the very first one. Yeah, the original. And this is a movie that was super low budget, was kind of just this really indie thing. It's like a bunch of people got together, had no money, figured out how to make a really scary supernatural movie with very limited supplies very limited uh budget and stuff like that and it's something that blew up and i feel like because it blew up and it went so mainstream i feel like some it i feel like it kind of gets overlooked for get for getting the credit that it deserves but it definitely was like a really innovative um sort of found footage film and it really uh i think they did some really cool stuff but um you know this is a movie about a couple that moves into into a house and they start being haunted by a demonic entity and they start videotaping everything they've got security cameras everywhere and they are basically just filming to try to see who or what is messing with them this whole time and it's it's one of those things where you watch the movie and the whole time you're thinking you probably shouldn't have set up those cameras because you're probably just pissing whatever it is off more and bad, like more and more bad things are going to start happening. And that's basically how the movie plays out. Um, if I was going to go with a specific moment for this movie, 
I would go to the very end of the mo- a movie. Uh, this is, again, going to be a spoiler, but basically at the end of the movie, you finally see um, the main uh, girl character in the movie. I believe her name was Katie. She finally becomes possessed by this entity that has been haunting this couple throughout the film. And it's one of those things where she takes out her husband at the end and she takes out the camera that you're viewing this happen happening through. And the reason I love that ending is because you don't know where she goes next, because in my head, and I think if you watch the second paranormal activity, they do clear that up a little bit. But when I saw, when I first saw that in my head, I was thinking, well, she's going to leave the house and she's going to go wreak havoc and who knows what else she's going to do. And it has, it's just such a cool ending. And it's also delivered with like a couple really, really good jump scares and stuff like that. And it's just, I love, I love this first movie. I've seen it probably too many times where it's not really scary to me anymore, but I think they just did some really clever things. And I loved that this is a movie that after you watch and you go home and you try to go to sleep in your dark house, you start to get creeped out because it's one of those movies where you don't see the monster and you're just, it's one of the, it's like you mentioned before, Drew, it's that supernatural thing. Like it's unknown. You don't know what's out there trying to get you. And uh, the movie gets your mind messing with you after seeing it. So yeah, that's probably all I have to say. I don't know if you have any comments or thoughts um, on paranormal, paranormal activity. It's a perfect example of the ghost thing. And because it focuses on the idea of how real it could be, even if it was made fake, it yes. raised questions enough that I just didn't want to see it. <laughs> so. so that that's actually a good point, because I mentioned this is a found footage film, and uh, I never saw this in theaters. I saw it on home video, which I think might have been a scarier way to watch it. But I guess one of the things they did in theaters is the movie starts with a cold open and it ends with a cold close and there is no opening or closing credits. When they played it in theaters, there was no closing credits. The movie just ends. So you feel like you literally watched a piece of found footage, like no title card or anything. And I think that is genius because if you, it's kind of funny, you can kind of, if you know the right places to look, you can find old internet comments about the movie and people not being sure if it really happened or not, which is just hilarious. Like I saw an old, uh, you, uh, an old video on YouTube where it was like the two main cast members were being, uh, interviewed on a talk show and the, somebody uploaded this talk show interview with the two, two main actors. And the YouTube video title was proof that paranormal activity wasn't real. <laughs> And I thought that was so funny because there's people who actually believed it when it came out. So, sure. Um, All right. Well, my next one for the night is the movie Mimic. Um, Oh, nice. This is a creature feature. It's about big bugs that like try and kill people um, that eat people and whatnot. Um, It's a lot of fun. It's got some really cool jump scares. Um, There is a moment in the movie And I honestly don't remember exactly which moment it was because this is not. And I was just along for the ride with the movie, but these are giant bugs that the movie's about. So these bugs are like the size of a person Um, and they sound like, you know, that they sound like bugs, like flying through the air. Right. Well, do you know what a magazine sounds like when you throw it? (laughs) 
you know what I'm talking about? Like that sound. I know where you're going with this, but yeah. Clapping sound. (laughs) So I'm watching it with our dad. It was just me and him watching the movie. The couch in the living room was angled in such a way that I could just lay down on the couch and face the TV without like turning my head. It was just like kind of like I'd lay down on the TV sort of kind of at my feet. And um, so I'm laying there. He's sort of like on an angle behind me in like the Lazy Boy. He's kind of reclined. We're both watching this movie. And at some point in the movie, I hear this flapping noise and then a magazine lands on my stomach. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever jumped so hard my like high in my That's so life. hilarious. It's like it's just, you're building this bug to jump out and like get the person and this thing just lands on you that's making that noise. Holy crap, man. <laughs> Talk about a scare moment. Um it's more the moment outside of the film that really did it, but it made me like that movie a lot more. So Absolutely. Just, um... <laughs> no, but if it was a bad movie and you weren't that into it, that wouldn't have scared you as much. So there is something to be said for that. But Mimic is awesome. Like you said, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. And um, the thing that I love about him is like Mimic is a creature feature about, you know, these giant bugs that uh, I can't remember exactly the lore, but I think they can they like mimic like the look of a so human or something like they, that. So what they did was is there was a disease being spread throughout New York that was being spread by the cockroach population. And they realized there's a a scientist played by Mira Sorvino. Uh, She's an entomologist who realized that she, she genetically created a new species of bug that would mimic like mating signals to attract the cockroach. And then what she, what the bug would do is it would secrete this enzyme that would, essentially kill the cockroach but the cockroach would then spread it right so the idea was if we can wipe out the cockroaches in new york it would take care of this disease problem but she built into the genetic coding these other bugs that she created would die out because the cockroaches were their food source so when the cockroaches are gone they'll die because they don't have the same food source yeah well in all good science fiction as jeff goldblum said in jurassic park life finds a way and the bugs that they thought got wiped, they wiped out the cockroach infestation, and then the new bugs died, and they thought they had proof that they were gone. And then uh, these weird disappearances start happening around the subway stations, and these kids find this, like, giant bug, and she's like, this looks familiar, I don't understand. And mm-hmm. then uh, the mystery goes the fact that these bugs didn't die, and what they did is they started mimicking title of the movie their prey and as they grew and got bigger they had to mimic different things and as over time as they developed so it was like i think it was like 12 years time span so like when they introduced the bugs into like the ecosystem so like when you actually see them as big there's like a 12-year gap it's like here's the thing with the disease 12 years later boom this is what's going on yeah and uh so that's basically the lore of the film but and they do some cool imagery stuff where, like, from far away, like, the bug might look like somebody wearing a uh, shiny trench coat, but it's really just the bug. And that shiny trench coat look is actually, like, its wings, like, wrapped around its body. But um, I'm glad you mentioned all that because what I was going to say is, like, this is a really in- intense creature feature, but it's Guillermo del Toro, so you always know there's going to be more to the story. And there's that whole aspect of, like, First of all, like, don't try to play God because you can't because bad things happen. But also you watch the movie and you see there's this sort of like 
underlying commentary about how the main character is struggling with her own religious faith and stuff. And that's why Guillermo del Toro makes such great horror movies because he gives you something to think about. And there's always like something, something more going on. It's not just, you know, just trying to jump out and scare you, I guess. So yeah, Yeah. good pick. (laughs) Anyway, what's your next pick of the night? Yeah, my next one I could keep pretty short, and uh, this one's actually a children's book, believe it or not. <laughs> but right. uh, it's this book called uh, Hecate Peg, and it's a book that uh, my mom read to me when I was very young. I want to say six, seven, eight, nine, like that age range. And it's it's a book that's uh, it's kind of similar to a um, Hansel and Gretel sort of scenario, where it's a book about this uh, family, uh, this family and all the children of the family, there's like between four and six of them, I think. But it's about this witch that lures them away from their house and uh, to to her house. And she turns she like does a magical spell that turns transforms them all into food. And then the witch is planning to eat the uh, new food children that she created. And uh the happy ending is that the mom swoops in at the end and is able to rescue her kids back. (laughs) But this is a book that my mom read to me when I was a kid. And, uh, I remember thinking it was really interesting, but trying to fall asleep after hearing that story was so hard. And I got so freaked out thinking about Hecate Peg, the witch (laughs) coming to get me. And, uh, while researching for this episode, I did look up, I, I wish I went to the library and actually re, you know, checked out the book and reread it. But I did look at a lot of the illustrations that are in this book and they are so I don't want to say they're they're hyper realistic, but they're so detailed and so well drawn that you can look at these illustrations and understand how a kid like these can really capture your imagination. These illustrations can really make you feel that this uh you know, that this story is something that could actually happen. Um, and it is it is one of those things where the illustrations are they are really realistic, but they're stylized. That's why I didn't want to say they're like hyper realistic. But if you watch them, if you look it up, they're super, super well done, really well detailed illustrations. And I think those kind of helped with how much this book creeped me out. But that's probably all I have to say on this one. This was just like, if you're talking about moments that scared me, this definitely is really high up there for me, even though it happened when I was like eight years old or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know this book at all. So I think that's, I mean, it's a cool story. I just have nothing to contribute. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. I hear you. (laughs) Um, All right. So my final pick of the night is the movie Event Horizon. Okay. Uh, Anytime scary movies come up in conversation there's all i feel there's always one person in the crowd that says dude event horizon um and they're right the movie's amazing um there's some great jump scares there's some cool really tense things that build you into scary moments um this best technically deals with ghosts and hell in outer space but where this movie got me and I didn't find myself, aside from being a little nervous through certain parts and like, you know, your standard tension building sequences and you're just kind of at the edge of your seat through things. Overall, I didn't find the movie scary. And still to this day, I don't find the movie scary. What really got me was, you know, you got Sam Neill in the movie with the like when he rips his eyes out and he's like, we don't need eyes to where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) So you're just like, yep, you're in the dark and Sam Neill's somewhere in the house trying to kill you. Um, (laughs) But that being said, 
is the movie overall didn't try and it didn't scare me. It was me and our brother Scott had rented the movie. We were home alone um, and we're like, let's go rent this movie. And it was just us staying at the house that night. I don't remember where you guys were with mom and dad, whatever. You guys were gone. So it was just the, him and I at the house. And we rented Event Horizon. Neither of us had seen it. We're watching the movie. We finished the movie. and like, dude, that was a good movie. That was basically the conversation. Like, that was good. And then it's like, well, I guess I'll see you in the morning. And we're wandering off to bed. And we spot the basement light was still on. <laughs> and we both were like, well, that's going to stay on till tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not not going down there. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I'm not going to go turn that off. Um, Yeah, so that's ultimately what it was. It was that post, and it's the end of the movie. And this is just the perfect example of one where you finish your watching your scary movie. And I saved this for the end on purpose because you're watching the scary movie. you're You're having fun and whatnot. And then you turn off the movie and you're in your house in the dark. Yeah. Think about what you just watched because that's the only thing on your mind. So that's that's why I chose this. It was a perfect moment to kind of end with for my list. So <laughs> that's awesome. And that's that's actually the exact same thing I was talking about with uh, paranormal paranormal activity, because that's the same thing I went through is like when you first watch that movie and you turn it off. And then, yeah, again, you're stuck in your dark house and you're just getting creeped out. But you got to have that palate cleanser. You have to, you know go onto YouTube and watch a a couple funny videos or put in a comedy, you know, at the end of the night, because sometimes you need that, uh, palate cleanser when you watch something super scary, but, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely good call. I watched event horizon a really long time ago and I've been wanting to rewatch it because I watched it in a group setting in high school and I know I didn't give it the full attention that it deserves. So I, I've really been wanting to rewatch this and I haven't really seen it like super accessible anywhere, but you're kind of motivating me drew to uh, hunt this one down again to rewatch. But uh, yeah, awesome pick. Yeah. All right. What is your final pick of the night? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yours uh, that it's also funny because I feel like we should have ended with that because you actually had a really better point to go out on with that one <laughs> where I awesome. just picked, I honestly just picked the scene that, uh, made me squirm the most, but I feel like it's kind of from a kind of dumb movie and stuff. But uh, the last pick that I went with for tonight is um, from Saw 2. Um, and it's this scene, you know, it's the, it's the Saw movies. This is the Jigsaw killer. This is the guy who kidnaps people and puts them through crazy torture device sort of games. That's right. It's like he's trying to... Uh, amend some broken part of their personality or he's trying to get make them get rid of some vice so he puts them through these crazy horror devices and it's supposed to turn the victim into a better person and saw to eventually involved a group of people who were kidnapped and put into this torture device filled house and they all had to play this game together to escape the house And so there's a lot of different games they had to go through and play in order to collect a series of keys. If I'm remembering this correctly, they had to collect a series of keys to eventually leave the house. And you're filling that this torture house with a bunch of dysfunctional people. And, you know, you know, bad things are just bound to happen. Um, But the specific scene that I wanted to talk about is there's one character who was a. Uh, heroin addict 
and the oh, part yeah. Ooh, have you seen yeah. this oh i know exactly what you're talking okay. about okay away dude I know, i'm not with you <laughs> so Hold. so Ooh. this character in order to get the like key or whatever it was she had to crawl yeah. through a pit of open syringes so you're talking about glass syringes with needles sticking out every which way yeah and she yeah. doesn't yeah. <laughs> she doesn't like she, you know, she, she's like too afraid to go in, but there's this one guy in the house who's like this really big asshole who basically picks her up and throws her in the pit of syringes to go grab the key she needs. And then you watch it play out as she crawls through these things to grab what she needs and then come back to the team. And she's literally has syringe needles poking out of her every which way. And I remember just watching that and just. I saw it in theaters and the friend I went to see it with, he was making fun of me. He was like, yeah, you were really cringing during that syringe scene. I was like, yeah, I'm usually not that bad with gore, but that just really got me. It was you know, just so, it made me your, your cringe and should have been so much. Your response to that comment should have been, and you weren't. And yeah. I- <laughs> good call, good call. But yeah, when it comes to a movie scene, a movie moment that really creeped me out, that sticks out of my mind first and foremost. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> I watched, I watched the first two, so first three saw movies. I didn't go beyond that, but I mean, ultimately they're just torture porn, but the, um, see, yeah, I, that, I, that oh, needle sequence, I, you know, the first one was a really good set the tone. I, I think I liked the second one better than the first in all series and all things, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, the first one I liked because it had the mystery aspect and it kind of felt like that sort of like you had the cops trying to figure out who this killer was and what was going on. The second one, I felt like it was a little too much. I don't know. There was the one guy in the house who was just screwing everybody over and it took a lot of the sort of uh, sort of the. Uh, the game aspect out of it, because instead of watching these people work together to try to figure out how to get out of these torture devices, you just had one guy screwing everybody over. And that's kind of what disappointed me was like that whole game slash mystery aspect was ruined by that. So I actually only saw the first two uh, Mm -hmm. Saw movies, but I, I do like the first one a lot for what it is. So. All right. Well, Hey man, what are we doing next week? It's your actual pick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we just talked about a bunch of scary, messed up stuff, and I figured I'd lighten the mood. And uh, this week we went with our top five scariest moments from media. And that's why next week I thought it'd be fun to do our top five funniest moments from media. So you can do oh, movies, man. comics, <laughs> books, cartoons. But these right. are like the moments that keep you coming back and always make you crack up. And uh, this is kind of cool because it doesn't even have to be comedy movies or anything you know sometimes the best comic relief comes in the middle of like a really intense thriller movie or something like that so i thought this one would be fun i know this is kind of a daunting list but hopefully uh hopefully you have some fun putting this one together drew Um, all media accounts i well i was gonna do just movies um but i was thinking in the spirit of this week's list we could do all media, but it we does, can talk about that off the show if you want to change it up. No, I was directly asking if you're focusing on movies or if you're like televisions allowed or if there's like, you know, like because on this list, I did like a video game and stuff like that. Like if you're saying all media, that's cool. If not, that's cool, too. Your yeah, list, I will. 
I will tentatively cool. say all media, unless okay. you want to change that up. So. Nope. You, <laughs> you can, yeah, you do your thing on that one. Yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, all right. Um, everybody, that kind of brings us to the end of this week's episode. We have a ton of DC stuff coming down the pipe as we actually learn what the plan is. And I can't wait to learn more. So we will be dissecting it for you. Uh, Peter, are you ready to end this one for the evening? Yeah, totally. Perfect. All right, everyone, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find a link to our social media, um, uh, Twitter and Facebook, along with our link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. Social media, either way works. Um, you can uh, follow. We are on. Haha. We are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Audible. Um, you can follow us in those places. You should subscribe. And if you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, because, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. I always feel like I stumble over the credits. Bad. I should have this down, man. 200 episodes in, I should have this down. <laughs> anyway, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be telling you about why Legally Blonde is actually the scariest movie I have ever seen. Oh, it's the lawyer. <laughs> what? Um, it's the lawyer thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, all right. Um, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.